Welcome to Historically Thinking, a program devoted to all kinds of historical knowledge and to the ways that we achieve it. I'm your host, Al Zambone. Our website is historicallythinking.org, where you can subscribe, find more information about our guests, links, and related readings. Our email address is mail at historicallythinking.org. We'd love to hear from you. This is another of Historically Thinking's occasional series on higher education, which we've collectively titled Higher Ed, A Guide for the Perplexed. And there are a few things more genuinely perplexing to any outsider, let alone a prospective undergraduate and said undergraduate's parents, than the college admissions process. With me to discuss college admissions are Brendan Bernard and Rick Clark, who have co-authored The Truth About College Admission, A Family Guide to Getting In and Staying Together, and as a professor of mine used to say, they have a right to their opinion. Brendan Bernard is the Director of College Counseling at the Dairyfield School and U.S. Performance Academy. Rick Clark is the Director of Undergraduate Admission at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Gentlemen, welcome to Historically Thinking. Thanks for having Thanks so us. Thanks so much. Appreciate you having us. Well, I love this book. It's um, it's very wise. Um, it is not a how to game the system book, as I said to you before we started, which is great. There's too many of those. Um, the, <laughs> the, the title, A Family Guide to Getting In and Staying Together, um, really is the heart of the book. Um, so it's a deeply wise and compassionate book. Um, we're going to be talking about the admissions process. Uh, we've talked about that on the podcast before. Um, as a, I don't want to talk about how it's broken or how it could be changed. We've done that before. We're just going to talk about, in the words of the philosopher Hyman Roth, this is the business we've chosen. And we're going to talk about um, how to flourish within the system as imperfect as it is, right? So... Um, before we talk about a mission for students and parents, I first I, I like to focus on, and I think we've done this in, a, in previous podcasts with Mark Salisbury, about what admissions means for a college or a university, and also I think even for a high school or a private school like a Dairyfield School, um, what does a college or a school get out of admissions? Hmm. Uh, Rick, okay. could you start? Can you start with that because that's your, that's your world. Sure, absolutely. And especially right now, because, uh, you know, with the year about to start back up, you know, we're having lots of meetings, lots of meetings with deans, lots of meetings with provosts, um, you know, and really, at the end of the day, my job and anyone who sits in a chair like this around the country, a dean or director or VP of enrollment is operating under goals. And, you know, that high-level goal, and I kind of equate it to being like a soup maker. I mean, everybody's got a different sized bowl. So at Georgia Tech, our bowl goal is 3,100 new first-year students. And at different schools, that might be 1,000 or 500 or 5,000. Uh, but you kind of start there. And, and from there, you know, it's really about institutional mission. Who are you as a school? Uh, what are your academic programs? What are the kind of students you're trying to enroll? Um, you know, and that to me is kind of like the ingredients that are going into that soup. And so everybody's got an opinion about what that should be. You know, we want more kids from out of state. We want more students to study biology. We want more women. We want more of whatever, you know, sort of shape and color that you can imagine. But the idea is 
don't go over the bowl size. <laughs> Virginia Tech, actually, a good example of some of the challenges it presents when you spill over. Um, what, is it, what, so do, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, just this last year, Virginia Tech missed their went over their goal by a thousand students, and so they've been in the news a lot for you know trying to incentivize students to um, you know take a year before coming. Or now they're looking at some of the hotels in the area to put to house students because they I mean, don't have goes, capacity. Who goes a thousand over these days? That's you think that's a great problem to have, but uh, all right. Well, yeah, unless it, you're unless you're the residential life department at that school. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, it, you know, it depends who you talk to. Yeah, that's right. And then that's the thing is, uh, you know, for the institution, there's a lot of different. Um, you know, people who are giving directives, you know, whether you're, if you're a private school, you've got the board of trustees. If you're a public school, you've got the, uh, the regents or, you know, people in legislator. Uh, so at the end of the day, admission for colleges is about the institutional mission. You know, who are you and what are you trying to achieve? And then what's your, what's your enrollment goal? And that really dictates in a lot of ways, everything it's, it's supply and demand and institutional mission. And at the core of it, that's really what college admission is. And that's how decisions are made. So what well, and, I, and and for better for worse, it's for better for worse, it's a business, right? And yeah. and often they have to say no soup for you, right? <laughs> I mean, so it's uh, and there's a, you know, it's, it's I mean, the there's also the, there's also the profile of people that can pay at different levels, correct? Let's just, right. Let's just say that. Sure. I mean, revenue is is obviously part of the equation, without yeah. a doubt. So let's see, let's well, go through some jargon. Um, IP. What's an IP? Sure. Uh, I can take that one again real quickly. Yeah. Yeah. IP mm -hmm. is an institutional priority. Uh, and so essentially, again, what that means is, all right, once you know what your target class size is, what are those uh, sub goals? And so, I mean, just to use Georgia Tech as a quick example, you know, we are not legislated like the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill is legislated at no more than 18% of their kids can come from out of state. But the understanding here in our state is that Georgia Tech is going to remain 60% Georgia, 40% non-Georgia. And so one of the institutional priorities, and some of this does relate to brand proliferation, uh, has a lot to do with creating a bigger network, has a lot to do with revenue, uh, is that you know, within that soup, 40% of those students uh, need to come from out of state. And, and then as a public school, let's serve our state with 60% being from in-state. Uh, so an institutional priority for any school around the country is what are those things they're trying to grow? What are those things they're trying to become better known for? Uh, you know, it could be that a school starts a nursing program. And so all of a sudden, nursing is an institutional priority for that school. Um, you know, maybe it's first-generation students or students from more rural communities. It varies from one school to the next, but institutional priorities are a huge part of the whole equation. Search purchase. What is that? Mm. <laughs> Rick um, can take that one because uh, he, he and this is one area where he and I uh, tend to diverge. Right. Uh, yeah. So search purchase, I mean, you know, the biggest thing to understand is, you know, you you have to – just as much as we talked about those kids coming and enrolling, um, you've got to start to back this thing out. And so essentially, you know, you're going to have to bring in a number of prospects that will help you meet those goals. And so the easiest way to look at this and the traditional way to sort of describe this is a funnel. And essentially, you've got this wide top. 
where you know there's all these high school kids around the country or around your state or around the world depending on who you are as an institution um, and then you kind of start working it down from there so who are those kids who are going to be academically eligible uh, who are those kids that are going to be able to afford to come or be willing to come uh, and you kind of work that down to your goals. Um, but one of the ways you do that is to draw kids into your funnel. And some, sure, you know, if you have a big name or you're in a certain area, they're going to know you. So, you know, University of Virginia doesn't have to probably do a lot of work in their own state. Um, kids know them. They're the flagship. But if they're trying to draw kids from, you know, Wyoming or Montana, then and that's an institutional priority to get kids from all 50 states, very well could be for them, um, mm -hmm. they will often buy names. And so search purchase is traditionally, but there's some other resources, but buying names from the College Board, buying names from the ACT, buying names through a couple other kind of uh, vendors, some of whom do surveys in schools, et cetera, that say, we're looking for this kind of kid. We're going to pay you 52 cents or whatever the going rate might be get that name and send them information, emails, you know, <laughs> stuff in the mail. And so a lot of kids and parents wonder, like, how did this show up from a random school I've never heard of? Well, you fell into their institutional priority. You're a female yeah. from Massachusetts for chemistry, and, and that's what that particular school was looking for. So they this bought your name. The, and, the the, the, and the challenge is they have to, you know, they have to aim – um, they have to widen the net, um, and oftentimes that net can catch kids who um, really have no shot at uh, at admission at that place. So you know, mm -hmm. they might get a they might get a uh, a marketing piece from a school that um, is really outside uh, reality for them, and of course instantly that student and that family's thinking, oh, well, they want me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember I remember that very vividly, yeah, mm -hmm. that, that experience. Um, so formulaic versus holistic admission review. Um, Brendan, perhaps you could talk about this since, you know, you are coaching students through this. Yeah, yeah. So the formulaic, um, the formulaic kind of framework for admission, and, and I think Rick kind of says it best, this kind of the, the plug and chug model is yeah. – um, you know, it's pretty um, based on numbers, and you can um, take a student's GPA and take a student's uh, test scores and um, pretty much see where they're going to fall in admission, right? They're going to yeah. – they're either admissible or, or not. So um, that would be and, – that, that's the cheapest way of doing admission. I mean, if, if I just had, a, you know, someone running Excel and I've got – I don't know, uh, I, can, I can see the people with a certain SAT score and a certain GPA – from say the southeast, if I've got a, a southeast liberal arts college that focuses on that, right. and that basically I have a very small admissions department. Right, but case. you, I mean, you you tend to see this actually more in big public universities, sure, um, where they just have such an, uh, a huge um, group of applicants that they really need to break it down in some way like that, and and so um, you know you can go on. Um, you know the Cal State system, and mm -hmm. you know they have a they have a table, and you can look for your GPA and look for your test scores, and say, well, All at right. this campus, I'm likely to be admitted. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, and and it, you know it's really transparent, um, and um, a lot of times, you know, the the more selective a school gets, 
Um, mm-hmm. it, they tend to uh, rely on holistic admission, which is really kind of looking beyond the numbers and um, looking at all aspects of the applicant and the opportunities they've had and what they've done with those opportunities and um, digging more into, you know, a student's essay and um, into the activities they've been involved in and uh, more more in depth of the curriculum they've they've taken and into the student's character and and um, how they've been engaged in their community. So just to uh, put a red check mark by this, holistic admission is now what people think of admission as being, and also the admissions process that causes everyone a great deal of fear and anxiety right. and uncertainty. That's right. Okay. That's right. Um, yeah, because at the end of the day, I mean, and Brennan and I have talked about some of these analogies, but you know, I think formulaic is, is kind of like, jumping a hurdle, right? It's, you mm-hmm. know, there's a certain bar height and you know that before you apply and it's clear. Uh, so there's really not a lot of anxiety around that. It's, you know, unless you're just trying to get to that height with your GPA or your test score, but you know what you need to do. And everyone wants that clarity and that path. Um, whereas holistic is like the decathlon. I mean, you know, there's all these events and all these things our schools are looking for. And the differentiation is very slight. Um, and to your point, it's gray and, and understandably gray breeds stress sometimes and anxiety. Yeah. Um, you say a couple times, and I love this, that the answer to much about the emissions process is it depends. Um, having said that a number of times myself to people, uh, could you explain uh, why it depends is the answer? Mm-hmm. So often. But both yeah. of you go for that. Brendan, you first. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, we have. I mean, one of the one of the amazing things about education, higher education in our country, is that we have so many opportunities and so, such a diverse um, wealth of of schools and um, of all levels of selectivity. And so, you can't really um, you can't really put one. Um, answer on um, a question about, you know, how important are test scores at this school? Um, well, I mean, or how, how important are test scores in admission? Well, it depends, right? I mean, it, it, it depends. Some schools are test optional. Some schools, um, you know, have uh, aren't, aren't really looking at students below a 1,400 SAT. Um, and so, um, you can't. We we want to know. We we want to know, and you just can't always know. I mean, it really depends on uh, the school and what their again what their institutional priorities are, and um, how they run their admission process. Mm-hmm. Rick, yeah, I mean, I would agree, and I do think that's one of the reasons why there is some stress around college admission is people forget exactly what Brennan just said, which is. It is a vast landscape, and that is that should be an encouragement, you know, that there are a lot of choices. There are a lot of options. And back real quickly on the kind of formulaic versus holistic side, another thing that, you know, people don't often – focus on or or somehow it's just not out there as much as it should be is the fact that the vast majority of schools are admitting way more kids than they're denying. You know, it's at the average admit rate right now, even for four-year schools, is about 65%. Uh, It's just that the media loves to focus on Stanford that's at like 
negative 0.1 now. Uh, so, you know, unfortunately, the, somehow the Ivy Leagues and Ivy-like schools are look to be, you know, the, the trend and look to be sort of, you know, more of a benchmark and they're actually more of an anomaly. Um, yeah, but, but real quick on the, you know, on the, on the it depends side, it's really what, it's really what Brennan said. And it also depends honestly from year to year because, you know, things change and shift. Like back to the UVA example real quick, like they just put early decision back in. So, you know, a, a sibling two years ago was told, no, we don't have that. And now they do. Uh, so, you know, not only can it depend from one school to the other on how admission is done, there's not a standard way. Um, and I understand that that's confusing and, and difficult, but it speaks to the uh, fabric, you know, this tapestry that we have across the landscape. Um, but the other thing is, you know, mission shifts, like Georgia Tech's got a new president coming in. He is going to set a vision that will diverge in some way from the previous president. So again, it depends. And even right now, we're saying that internally here as we're training staff, like, you know what, a lot of this depends on what this new president comes in and says. So <laughs> it's tough. And I mean, and it depends, translates differently to different audiences. But man, it is a truth of college admission, without a doubt. And, and I'll just add one more thing from the student side is that you know, it depends on the student, right? I mean, so yeah. um, while, you know, there might be there might be a single-digit admit rate at a uh, small school in New England for a student from Massachusetts, right? For that student, um, it's going to be a 9% admit rate. A student from rural uh, Kansas, it might not be a 10% admit rate, right? They, they, it, it depends on who the student is and what they're bringing and uh, how competitive admission will be at any given school. Right. It's yeah, a very important point. It's a very difficult point. So many of things about uh, higher ed these days have the answer, it depends. Um, mm -hmm. As you're talking, I'm also thinking about even faculty hiring. Um, mm -hmm. There... Um, Sometimes the fact is you just don't know why it happened, and mm -hmm. it doesn't say any. Then the person who the candidate has to realize it wasn't necessarily about them. Um, there are other things going on that they just don't know about, um, yep. and and uh, that's a very hard thing to. When we we have an idea of total and absolute agency, particularly in America, um, in right. which everyone's responsible for their fate, somehow it must be our fault. Um, but the fact is, this is a very complex system in which it isn't, in which sometimes your agency is the least important thing. Uh, yeah, good, good metaphor for life. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so and you know what? Yeah, uh, honestly, real quick, I mean, if a if a if there are students that listen to this, I mean, you know, that is maybe one of the most important things to for them to hear and to believe is that an admission decision is not, you know, a value judgment. It's not some prediction of future success. I mean, right. you know, and, 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 you know, we like to point to a couple of different, you know, good school examples on this to say, uh, you know, uh, the kid that gets into Caltech, you know, um, may not get into Brown. Um, and, you know, whether one is ranked higher than the other, has a higher admit rate than the other, it's, it's so much about fit and match to that school. Um, it has zero to do with, you know, in a lot of ways, that particular kid. And, and then this whole idea, like you mentioned, like 
one of the biggest truths about college admission is it's, it is not fair. Um, we right. are trying to shape a class. We are trying to meet institutional priorities. And, you know, that sometimes means that a kid who on paper may not look, quote unquote, as good, as smart as whatever, doesn't get in um, versus another who does. So, Or the reverse, <laughs> depending yep. on right. what that kid with a lower GPA has done. Uh, I'm speaking mm-hmm. to someone who was, I don't think, in the top quarter of my high school class, but I was a National Merit Scholar. I mean, I wrote a really good admissions essay, and that's the only reason I think I got into college. I, I, I sometimes wonder how that, how I did get into college. Um, <laughs> uh, but that, I think, was the answer, and I'm sure there's lots of people that got rejected by Johns Hopkins who really resent, resented me, even though they didn't know my name or who I was, because I know that there are some kids from Bronx Science who wanted to get in and who didn't mm-hmm. get in, and, and they were smarter and had better GPA than me, but I matched mm-hmm. something that, that Johns Hopkins was looking for that year. Um, Absolutely. That's just the way it was. Um, it, it says, in some ways, it says little about me. I have to leave my ego out of it, but we'll get to ego. Um, right. we've, uh, we've been looking at sort of the 35,000-foot uh, view of the rat maze. Um, let's go down and get the rat's eye view of the person that's sort of going through the maze, because um, it is a maze. Um, it's, and that's part of the fear and uncertainty of it. Um, you, however, begin the book uh, with the one question, the one question that every potential undergraduate should be asking. What is that magic question? Why? Brennan? Why? Yeah. Why, why are you, why are, if, you, if you want to use the maze uh, uh, metaphor, why are you kind of venturing into the maze and, and what's that mean for you? Um, mm-hmm. You know, wh- why are you going to college? Um, why is a degree important for you? Um, why are you looking for uh, specific needs in any given school? Um, why do you want to have the experience you seek? And I mean, we talk about it as this kind of really foundational question. Um, so often students and families kind of start the the, the college search with uh, where and what and um, without kind of really checking in and doing some self-reflection on um, why they're doing what they're doing and um, kind of stepping off the stepping off the treadmill um, or the the rat wheel, I guess, and 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 saying, you know, like, what do I want out of of, of my my education, and why am I doing this, and um, what's in it for me? Yeah, Rick. No, I, I 100% agree. I mean, you know, and we we kind of use the analogy in the book, this idea that why is like the cornerstone. I mean, you'll get to you know putting some really nice uh, touches on the house later, um, and, and figuring some of that out later. Um, but in terms of this, you know, fundamental question, you know, you've got to ask that because why really does ultimately lead you to where and you kind of have to, you know, crawl before you walk and people want to just, you know, run into this thing and they start rattling off, you know, where they want to go to school because it's ranked higher or because mom and dad went there or because, you know, and and those reasons fall apart uh, ultimately. And, you know, I see this being here on campus and having having been here now for 15 or 16 years. I mean, the kids who know why they're here, um, um, and it was really their their choice. Um, they're just so much more confident and, uh, you know, just they feel secure in this decision. And I definitely talked to kids who ran through this process and didn't really ask that question. And 
it can be disconcerting because I think all first-year students ultimately, um, you know, do question themselves a little bit on their on their choice and on their decision. And if they yeah. can't come back to a good reason, um, that can lead to some other kind of issues, you know, down the road. So um, why really is so critical? And and honestly, at least for a lot of the families that we work with, um, rarely, unfortunately, rarely asked. Yeah, a couple things. Uh, You have a great uh, visual image of um, that first-year student uh, on a cold, drizzly November day uh, wondering why they're here. Uh, and I remember that day. Uh, that was a bad day. Uh, really? But yeah, but it was. I had a, I had a good enough why, um, yep. and so I got through that day. Um, but I've seen students since, uh, nice, bright, cheerful kids. Who it, it is November. It is something about November. Uh, <laughs> in, in, it's after midterms. They've gotten the midterms results back. They're yep. kind of looking forward to Thanksgiving and being home, and something kind of snaps. Mm-hmm. And the answer always does turn out to be why, but also, as you point out, before we get to go from why to where, we have to also ask who. Who am I? Who do I want to be? And mm-hmm. those are the existential questions that you know are, are sort of made for a cold, drizzly November day. Um, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, this is one of those things like – that's a big question to ask. I mean, whether you're 17 or 37 or 57, I mean, that's a huge question, but that's the thing that Brennan and I try to focus on is like, this should be, we're pretty intentional about using this idea of it's not a college admission process. It's a college admission experience. And yes, you should be processing and, and asking big questions, but you know, to the point of it's not fair and things don't always go your way. I mean, you learn things along the way. If you look at this as an experience and not just the means to an end that are invaluable and asking questions about who am I and what do I really want and why and trying to tune out voices is a life skill and it's something that you've got to do throughout life and so you know I just one of the things we really hope is that students and families will you know embrace this as an experience and something that can actually bring them together because of honest conversations and you know asking tough questions and and uh not just sort of going through it you know right right yeah. and it's and, and and too often really it's it's looked at as this thing admission is something that happens to you right mm-hmm. and it and it loses that sense of agency and it loses that sense of um of meaning and purpose and it's kind of you know oh i made it through the admission process right and mm-hmm. I, I, I survived, and and that's just um, this is this needs to be looked at as an opportunity and an experience that um, is going to be informative for the rest of our lives. Yeah, that's what I love about your approach because um, what you're taking what is for people a horrible experience and showing that it can be a uh, an experience in which there can be considerable uh, growth and considerable mm-hmm. good work being done. Mm-hmm. Um, a medieval Catholic might call this an opportunity for an examen. Um, this is the mm-hmm. time of self-examination. Um, it's, uh, in a way, it's, it's almost a, in modern uh, meritocratic America, it's almost a time of a religious experience um, in which you can examine yourself and decide your, your sort of purpose in life. It's, it's, it's turning into sort of a secular bar mitzvah. Um, and uh, that's maybe you know if we emphasize that it's not such a bad thing it becomes less right. of a, it becomes a, a trial but in the sense that a, a medieval knight goes through trials in order to become sure. a better person sure uh, 
Let's uh, run through. A, you, you you talk about four wedges of college admission, um, and these are great. And I wanted to uh, make sure that we uh, we we cover these. At least I think it might be. At least I, I counted four. I think there's four. Right. Not, yeah, there's four. Right. Yeah. Okay, just four. So uh, could we could we run through them? Time, communication, money, and ego. TCME. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> not an acronym. No, it's uh, <laughs> easy to remember. No, and it's funny, too, because uh, one of my friends here, when we turned the book in, he's like, there's no way they're going to keep that at four. It's too random. They need, they're either going to make it three or five. Three, right. uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, how about, Brennan, you want me to take the first two and you take the last, or you okay with that? Um, yeah, sure. Or we, okay. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Um, so time, um, you know, first of all, I mean, this whole idea of wedges, when we really were, you know, talking about the book, you know, it's this idea of like, what is it that drives families apart? And what are the things that are sources of stress? Um, and, you know, how can we give people some, some techniques and some tools to help have better conversations to instead of divide, unite. So that's the whole idea is put our finger on the things that you know, typically are tough and, and try to help people kind of coach them through it. So, you know, one of those is time and, and just this idea that, um, first of all, time is running out. I mean, this idea that, you know, a lot of times this is the last year that students going to be at home and that's precious and valuable. And, you know, I've got younger kids, but even I can see that. I mean, time is, is, is running out and you want that to be enjoyable. And, and, you know, sometimes people let this encroach on all of their time. So what we really kind of recommend is instead of uh, letting it bleed into all your conversations and, you know, pick a kid up from tennis practice at 9 p.m. and ask them about, you know, have they written their essay? Um, nobody wants to have that conversation at that time. Um, try to isolate some time. You know, we kind of recommend whatever works in the family's you know, week, maybe that's Sunday afternoon or Tuesday night, whenever it is. But, you know, be prepared, come to that sort of family meeting and have a good conversation and get it all done in a short period of time rather than it sort of encroaching on the rest of the week. Um, so that's sort of, in a, in a nutshell, the idea of time. Um, in communication, uh, we uh, tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but talk a little bit about pronouns. Um, that's, this idea really, that, that's a really good <laughs> section. That's a really good section. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun, it was a fun one to write um, and, and just to talk through together. Um, but, you know, we hear this all the time, and it's kind of comical. I mean, I see where it comes from because – you know, as a, again, as a parent of little kids, you know, you, you do say like, well, we are going to the playground and we are blah, blah, blah. But there comes a point where we are not taking the SAT, you know, uh, <laughs> we are not going to Vanderbilt or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it's, if it's you, understandable. If you said to a friend in the bleachers last week, our first choice is Columbia, then you might need to go for a walk. That's a, that's a quote from the book. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was hard for us to stop giving examples of yeah, this, to be yeah, honest with you, because yeah. we hear it all the time. But, you know, again, we get where it comes from, but um, – the idea is they're not wrong, but they can be a sign, right? So this idea of involvement and coaching is great, and we want that. We want to facilitate that. But robbing a student's voice from the essay because you're overbearing or not letting them talk to an admission counselor, you know, like we see parents like well, you'll ask the kid a question and a parent will literally step in and, and answer um, or, you know, disguising your voice when you call to get a password to a portal, you know, 
that's where you've gone overboard. And so um, we're just trying to sort of help people with, you know, a better way to acknowledge, hey, you know, here's where we may be stepping into some things that are going to divide us and, and, and create a wedge. So how can we, um, you know, acknowledge when this is happening and come back to sanity, reality, um, and just a more healthy, you know, relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, so the next one being money, um, and we again we could have written a, an entirely different book on just financial aid and money and how it um, and how it plays into this experience. But um, you know, it's it's just so important for families to um, put everything on the table and to be transparent um, and talk about um, finances when they're going into this experience because too often what we see is that that families will just kind of say well it's going to work out and we'll be able we'll we'll make it work and we'll afford things and then they get to the end of the you know into the spring when they have to make a decision and all of a sudden then money becomes really real and um, they're saying well we have these three schools on the table and the student really wants to go to uh, school A but the most affordable is school C and then they're having the tough conversations, and it's at that point it's just too late. Um, it's very late in the process. They've got and right. They've, they've been selected. It's they, you know, it's 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 in between yeah. their, their selection and and their decision date, and all of a sudden things right. are very 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 and rough. That, that can be really divisive and 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 really um, um, drive families apart and and create a lot of resentment. And so, um, you know, we it's a great opportunity for um, parents to kind of educate students about uh, what it means to um, live a financially sustainable life and um, what are the um, real draws on their um, their finances in terms of taxes and um, you know their lifestyle and um, need for retirement savings and things like that and so to just put everything on the table and have those conversations early on is just is so important um, and and to look at um, what does what does debt really mean and and you know why is taking on forty thousand dollars in debt um, not a great idea yeah. <laughs> and um, because you know a lot of students and a lot of parents don't have a, a, a firm sense on on what that really looks like so yeah. um, you know that's just really important to, to talk about um, and it's, all, and then, it's also, yeah. also if I may interject it's also this is uh, if this is going to be a process in which uh, teenagers are becoming adults which it should be um, or right. part of that process, then having those real serious conversations about money are assigned to them of, of some of the responsibility that they're going to be assuming and mm-hmm. that they'll have, they'll have to take up whether they want to or not in the future. Yeah. And to develop some financial literacy and, 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 and also to have um, some uh, skin in the game, right? Yes. So yes. Um, even, you know, I think we, I often say that students who, even families who can afford the full boat and um, can do so comfortably, I think it's a really good um, idea for the student to be on the hook for some of it. Um, even even if that's just paying for their books or something like that, but but so they have some um, investment in in their education and yeah. they they realize uh, the importance of that. Yeah, so the game. One is, thing, uh, Brendan, uh, just to add before you move on is I'm always amazed. I'm sure you are from your side of the desk too. You know, when when parents do that and they really are willing to kind of open up the books and be transparent and describe, okay, if we you know do this, here's what it means. Like, you know 
they're always impressed and amazed, you know, how the student responds. Oh, wow. Well, no, I don't want to, you know, I don't want it to kind of put that burden on you or, you know, Mm -hmm. they're just capable, I think, of getting it and making a good conscious, like wise decision more sometimes than parents uh, believe or, or maybe assume. And here again, like such a great opportunity to unite, yeah. not to divide. Yeah, absolutely. I have a colleague, I have a colleague who, who likes to kind of frame it this way. And, and, and this always kind of hits kids in a different way that um, a year's tuition is like in the fall of their, um, their freshman year, for example, buying a high end luxury car. Yeah. And then at the end of the uh, spring, driving that car off a cliff, right? And then the next fall, buying a brand new one. I, um, I so a, it's a, like, a you know. friend with uh, three kids, and he always said, yeah, so uh, sometime in about 16 years, I'm going to buy a house, and then I'm going to buy another house, and I'm going to buy another house. Um, which, <laughs> yeah, that didn't quite work out. Well, it, it wasn't a bad way of thinking ahead. but yeah. Right, right. Or maybe his kids will buy in the house. Yeah, we hope um, so, uh, the, and then the final wedge that we talk about um, is that of ego, and um, and and we really kind of break it down for both students and 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 parents. And um, you know, ego is something that I think everybody struggles with, but that we that going into this experience is something really to um, check in on. And um, for students. Um, you know, what are their um, preconceptions of kind of um, of what a good school is, and um, and kind of looking at that and saying, um, what you know, what is it, what's tied up in this for me, and um, why do I want this school or that school, and um, and being able to um, listen to their parents, listen to their counselor, and um, kind of put aside their own. Um, pride and look at really what is a good match for them rather than, um, you know, what's going to make them look the most um, prestigious or, you know, what's what's kind of high status. Um, this is very much related to what you guys refer to as a narrow approach towards choosing colleges, mm, uh, right. which makes me, I mean, since I taught at a, uh, you know, a respectable Midwest liberal arts uh, college, not the first tier of Midwest regional liberal arts colleges, but uh, when you're inside the system, you realize how, in fact, at, and we're not going to talk about the U.S. News and World Report scale, but when you're uh, inside colleges, you realize how instruction is either the same and can be better at schools that are, quote-unquote, worse than others. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the failure to understand that uh, leads to the narrow approach towards choosing colleges. It leads to then ego, um, mm-hmm. an ego based on ignorance, which is the worst kind, uh, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Right, and a fixation on um, what somebody else is saying is a good school, mm-hmm. um, whereas you know that good school might not have anything you're looking for. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I always struggle with a student who comes to me with a list um, and they're, they have their kind of list of what they're looking for in a college and on that same list is um, Dartmouth and Columbia, right? A, both Ivy League schools but one in a um, bustling city and one in a rural um, location, very different schools. Um, and um, the only kind of thread that ties them together 
is the fact that they're ultra selective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, and so, are, are you able to look beyond that and put your ego away and and say, you know, what what's good for me? Mm-hmm. I tell um, you, you always know a parent like has this in check when you hear them say something like, you know, I know she'll be fine wherever she ends up. Like, you know, or, or like, this is his decision ultimately. You know, when you hear them say that, you know they really have got this thing kind of figured out. Um, and students, I think, you know, on the other side, it's like when you don't hear them sitting there comparing themselves to siblings or other people in their class, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you can tell it's, it's purely theirs at that point, and they've kind of got this – there's like a lightness and a confidence on their faces that, you know, they care, but um, they just know that they're going to make it work wherever they end up. And, I mean, I just feel like that's, that's where you're trying to get people. Mm-hmm. Well, and those, and those parents who are able to say that, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, putting, that's putting their ego to rest as well. I mean, it's, it's so often – and we talk about this a bunch in the book that so often um, that college admission can seem kind of like this referendum on your parenting. And so I, I, I'm a good parent because my student got into X school or this selective right. school. Yeah. And it's um, stepping back from that and saying, um, I'm a good parent because my student was able to um, know themselves and know what's best for them and take ownership for this process and, um, and, and look at what they really um, are, is going to make them most engaged. Yeah. Or like, I know I'm a good parent because go talk to my kid. They're amazing. Like, it doesn't matter where they go. Like, you know, that's a yeah. great kid. Yeah. Um, let's quickly talk about uh, two things that uh, come up a lot. Um, one is, um, as I took it from from your book, it's making yourself look interesting versus be actually being interesting, um, and this causes a great deal of anxiety um, and makes people make some strange uh, extracurricular activity choices. Um, what? So I, I joke about it in, in my notes to you. It's like, uh, will a college admissions officer look at me more favorably because I worked at a clinic for horses with grass allergies? Um, and and I would say the answer is probably not. Um, but what would you guys say? I'd say you're, you're a great college counselor. <laughs> that, that's true. Probably not. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's this there's this perception that um, there's this kind of checkbox for for college admission that um, you need to have um, you need to have gone on some kind of um, amazing trip to some faraway country to um, be in service of other people when. Um, you know, colleges are just excited about a student who is engaged in their own community and is um, helping caring, helping care for a, a sibling, or is um, volunteering at the library, or doing something um, that's authentic, that's um, that shows engagement, shows that they care about other people, and um, so th- you know. That they're not. Um, they get into. We get into these kind of volunteer Olympics, um, where everybody's competing to to look um, more um, kind of glossy in the college admission experience, and 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 that's what we're kind of trying to address here. Rick, yeah, you probably have encountered, encountered this, um, perhaps. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, well, and also we're like going back through training right now for our staff, um, you know, before people hit the road to do some recruitment and, and travel, we're, we're getting people sort of geared back up on reading and, and norming within our rubrics and things like that. So, you know, when we're just, just yesterday talking through extracurriculars and, and all that, there's sort of four eyes that we talk about, and this is not unique to Georgia Tech. Um, people may not put it this way, but this is essentially what admission conversations are like in committee is, you know, is the kid involved? You know, are they invested? So, you know, can you see that they're plugged in in some capacity? To, to Brennan's point, it's not like, you know, three years of this and two years of that, but, you know, is there involvement and investment? And then are they having an impact and an influence on other people? And that manifests itself in lots of different ways. It, you know, it could be that that kid is extremely interested in horse allergies and, you know, mm -hmm. equestrian stuff. Sure. Um, but, you know, then again, the, the applicant pool is so broad that you see this manifest itself in lots of different ways. I mean, the kid playing three sports um, who's never had a job in their life um, absolutely could be having an impact and an influence on the people around him or her. And conversely, the kid who, you know, works 30 hours a week and couldn't, you know, hit a wiffle ball if you, you know, if he tried, um, is, is doing the same thing. And so one fundamental question that we have, um, and, and you hear a lot of admission folks talk about is when this student leaves, you know, will they be missed? And I think that that's what families should be thinking about is no matter what it is, French club, you know, tennis team, research, whatever, like when they leave, are they going to be missed? Is it by a boss, by a coach, by a teacher, you know, and, and if they can show on their application that they're going to be missed, that they've had that involvement, investment and impact, um, that's, that's what colleges are looking for um, at the end of the day. How should... Um students and parents think about standardized testing. That's another thing that a great deal of energy is spent, um, let's just call a great deal of energy is spent thinking about. Mm -hmm. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. No, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm being flipped, but I mean, it really, um, it's a necessary evil for some schools, right? I mean, so, but typically only for the most selective schools and universities and colleges and universities in the country. I mean, their um, test scores for some schools are going to um, be um, a determining factor for some students. Um, but, you know, there's a growing movement of, of test optional schools and, um, and even more selective schools that are becoming test optional um, and, and public universities and um, schools that typically weren't test optional. And so, um, you know, the, the student who is, um, is testing at kind of a, uh, a lower level and is, is never going to be, um, you know, in the upper, you know, 1500s um, on the SAT, um, do they really want to beat their head against a wall doing test prep, uh, you know, every day for um, the entire summer um, when their scores are, are unlikely to come up to the level that they might need to to be uh, admitted to uh, ultra-selective school. Um, so it's, it's really a decision that families need to make about kind of what are the priorities and um, what does a school value and is that a good match for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the big, t I think that's all that is absolutely accurate. Um, the other thing I would add is 
Um, we talk about this in the book, and, and I'm amazed sometimes, though, at how few people really kind of know and understand this idea of super scoring. Um, so I think one way that you know I would hope parents would think about this is it is it's not just you know one and done you know four hours on one test so i just kind of say it's not like a it's not like playing football right it's not just a four hours on one saturday um schools really are um taking the kids best possible combined scores so if a student let's say takes the act three times they're going to pull maybe the math from the first one and the you know english from the third one if those are the two highest and in general, I mean, the vast majority of schools, Georgia Tech is a great example and lots of schools like us, we're never even going to see those other tests. Uh, we, our system just pulls in the, the highest and, and that's it, right? I mean, there's a couple anomalies here and there, and those are extreme anomalies where they're looking at, you know, every single test administration. Um, but the vast majority of schools are using super scoring, and they're trying to essentially give you, quote, unquote, benefit of the doubt. Um, body of work in terms of your testing. So that's one thing um, that I would say. And then, you know, the other thing is, and this goes both ways, it's not, it's never a sole determinant if you are running a holistic process. So a lot of students are like, hey, man, I got a 1580. Uh, I really don't have to do a great job on my essay. Um, and that is not true. We deny, we, quote unquote, we Georgia Tech, but schools like us deny plenty of kids with 1580s who are not good fits and they, they aren't, they are just quote unquote a good student and they don't bring a lot of the stuff that we talk about in shaping a class. And conversely, you know, a student who has a 1280 and that falls in the lower 25% of a school's middle 50, um, could get in. And, and that's because of all these other factors. So, you know, that's something else I would hope students and parents would hear is it, it's not a sole determinant. Um, holistic review means that. Hmm. And, you know, I think it's also, um, you know, to come back to the financial um, discussion, um, it is important to note that um, a number of schools will um, award merit aid, um, you know, non-need-based um, merit aid on um, high standardized test scores and high GPA. So um, for some students looking at, at certain schools, that's something to consider um, because um, they'll use merit aid to attract students with higher testing because, you know, it, it uh, elevates their profile. We're um, reaching right. the end of our time, so I just wanted to ask uh, two sets of questions. Um, you, I really enjoyed uh, the questions that you um, you asked in relation to campus visits. Um, so uh, the questions that people should be asking uh, when they go on campus. Uh, so, for example, uh, when you uh, when they go through the whole campus visit process, don't ask um, about the faculty-student ratio, but at, you should ask, you say, what is your typical introductory class size? Um, so why is it important to ask that question rather than faculty-student ratio? Yeah, I'll take a crack at it uh, real quickly. I mean, because when you boil it down to a ratio, um, you know, let's say it's 19 to 1, then there's all kinds of mess thrown into that number. You know, you could have people who are on sabbatical. You could have people that teach one class. You could have people that only teach 3,000 level or above. Um, and so I think what we want to try to have families ask is, 
what's my experience going to be like? I mean, that's what you care about, right? Nobody mm-hmm. actually cares what the student-faculty ratio is. Nobody goes around bragging, you know, that ours is lower than yours or something. Um, what's mm-hmm. my experience going to be like? Um, well, no, I don't think any – I've never met a college student doing that. No, no, um, I've never met a college student. But the admission That's what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Admission, right, folks, right, right. admission folks do that. And, yeah, yeah. and other and – Which sure is why you faculty, have to ask this question. Yeah. yeah, but like a, a no college kid is so proud of the fact that, you know, their, their football team might have gotten killed by the other school, but they have a lower student faculty yeah, 12 ratio. To, yeah. yeah, 12 to 1 here. How about yeah. That? But, like, what's my experience going to be like? If I'm going to be a chemistry major here, um, tell me about my first year experience, you know. Tell me about my – last year experience. You know, is it going to be 50 to one in the first year, but then, you know, 10 to one as I get really into my major. Okay. Now I understand what that's going to look and feel like. That's really important. And so the same thing is true of, you know, graduation rates. Um, you know, people will just throw out a number. Well, okay, no, help me understand who's leaving and why. And, you know, kids like me, right. that are coming from middle income from this state. Like what's that graduation rate? So I just think they need to ask more questions about them. And honestly, that's good because it forces admission officers to dig a little deeper instead of just throwing out quick numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Really looking beyond the numbers. I mean, the same thing with retention rate, right? Like why, instead of just saying, you know, what's your first year retention rate? You know, how many students are coming back after their first year? What they really should be asking is kind of why are those students who are leaving, leaving? Mm-hmm. You know, what yeah. what is it about the experience yeah. that they're leaving? Is it because um, of finances or because they, um, you know, they're too far from home or mm-hmm. uh, the football team lost or, um, you know, yeah. what are the reasons and, and how is that going to impact your experience there? And R- does that R- even R- matter? Rick, I have to say that there are going to be admissions officers across the country, if this book catches on as it should, uh, who are going to be really upset with you for uh, having betrayed the faith, because these are some these are some tough questions that I wouldn't want to be asked if I was, you know, as a faculty member addressing, say, prospective uh, students uh, for a department. Right. Um, They're hard. They're hard questions. Yeah, it's true. But you know, we wrote it for families, not for admission folks. Not for admission folks. Um, so let's, uh, any other questions that should be asked, like in a campus visit or when you're, when they're talking, when you're, they're talking to a, a college that they're getting very close to applying to? Yeah. I mean, uh, how's the food, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's always important to students, but no, I mean, I, I think, um, it's important to ask about kind of student engagement. Like how, how are students engaged on campus? Mm-hmm. Um, is, um, you know, are they, are they, um, are students going and watching the, um, is there a lot of school spirit? Are they going to watch the athletic events? Are they, um, uh, is there, are there, is it, are there active um, clubs and organizations and, and how's that play out? Um, and also how accessible are the faculty? I mean, we talked about yeah. student faculty ratio, but um, you know, are the faculty, are there a lot of TAs? Um, how's that play, teaching assistants? How's that playing out? Um, are the faculty available um, outside of class? Are they working one-on-one with students? Um, you know, all those kinds of questions. And then also kind of outcomes. What are students doing after college in, mm-hmm. in different majors? And, mm-hmm. um, and again, not just the numbers, but um, how, how are they supported in looking um, for <laughs> jobs after school and, and yeah. what that look like at, at each that, given school? Those are great questions. I would, I would add to that in terms of faculty. I would ask, um, I think we've talked about this with Mark Salisbury in a previous podcast. I'll put this in the show notes. Uh, you should ask a tour guide, uh, ask a student, 
Uh, as a first-year student, did you talk to any of your professors one-on-one -on -one in the first two weeks? Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. That's a, which and is a highly uh, indicative. Uh, that's actually highly indicative for the remaining. Uh, 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 apparently, it uh, has a, at least a. Um, it, it, it's indicative for their experience for the rest of their uh, college uh, four years. Um, and right, and, and don't, and, and don't just ask the tour guide because typically the tour guides are students who are pretty engaged and pretty involved in campus and, and probably are are being pretty intentional about uh, seeking out their faculty. But you yeah. know what we, what we recommend is you know after the kind of uh, the, the canned visit and tour and information session, go to the dining hall or go to the campus center and just stop a random student um, and, and just say, you know, I'm, I'm here visiting and uh, would love your perspective on things, you know, and, and ask them a few questions. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's very true. Like ask as many people the same question, right? You can ask a faculty member, you can ask a tour guide, ask a, a random student, an alum. One of the questions I tell people to ask is what what has surprised you um, about being here um, and what has disappointed you so it's interesting to ask that same question to a number of different folks. You can ask that same question to a faculty member and to, uh, you know, a student, um, you know, and that kind of gives, you start to connect some dots there about culture. And I think that's really, that's really what they're trying to get at is what's the, what's the experience like? What keeps and what you there? We, and what you would know, you especially change? Especially as a faculty right. member. Why have you stayed? Mm -hmm. that's, those are great questions. Um, just a final um Final question for me. Um, the final decision period between acceptance and uh, then um, saying yes or no to a school uh, is for some. I mean, I I was just happy to get into anywhere myself. So uh, <laughs> I, it was it was a, a golden haze of of joy. But for some people, uh, including my sister, uh, it's a deeply traumatic time. Um, and it seems I'm, I don't know if I, I don't have a historical perspective on this. Uh, maybe it's getting worse. I don't know. Um, but it's also a time of, of real indecision by both students yeah. and parents. Um, and it's often because they've gotten into really good schools. Uh, mm -hmm. I just got into one school, so that was easy. Um, How's that? Yeah. So that, but when you get into two good schools, then it's you're you're making that Solomon decision between what what should I do? What are the final questions that someone can ask uh, when they're confronting that, that that really good situation? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's this paradox of choice, right? Yep. Um, there's, I mean, I, I think a couple of the questions, just the general questions students should ask themselves, and and we break some of these out in the book, but mm -hmm. um, you know, one is, will I feel safe? Right. Will will I? Um, you talk about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, um, safety and security is at the very the base of things. Um, will I feel safe? You know, on campus. Will I feel safe academically um, to take risks? And um, you know, th that's kind of key to um, a student's success. And then, and then also, will I feel a sense of belonging and connection? Like, mm -hmm. Do I do I really feel like I can um, I can make connections here and I can um, and feel like I'm part of something and feel like I belong? Yeah, that's, um, that's very crucial. I I always then, I tell, yeah, tell under, uh, entering undergraduates that you're now asking the even right now the first week you're asking the two most important questions that you'll probably be asking for the rest of your life whenever you join a new place. Um, uh, will they like me? Uh, and can I do the work? 
Mm. And yep. it's nice to think about that before you actually get to the college. Uh, well, and, can, and can I and can I grow here? Not only yeah, can I do the work, but can I? Is am I going to be well, able to? Is there enough flexibility, both academically and socially, to to stretch and to take risks and to grow and to thrive? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a better way. Of putting mine are it. mine are a little more practical. I think first one is back to money. Um, uh-huh. You know, just is this a wise choice? Um, You know, if you've got a couple options, what does that really look like financially? Um, Are you going to – what kind of loans are you going to take? You know, are there opportunities to offset those costs? You know, what's the kind of idea of when you're finishing, you know, kind of a return on investment? I mean, running those numbers, um, it doesn't mean ultimately it has to come down to just dollars and cents, but it has to be part of the questions they're asking, I think. Um, And then the other one, you know, I think for a lot of students is, is this really mine? You know, um, I talked to a student, I mean, I talked a kid out of coming to Georgia Tech. Uh, I probably, you know, back to like, but I mean, you know, it was, it was late April and he was really waffling. And I just asked him that question, like, is this really yours? Cause I'm hearing you talk about this other option and it seems like you're more excited about it. And, you know, at the end of the day, mom and dad had come here and that's largely why he had applied. And now there's a lot of pressure on him cause he got in and that is, you know, increasingly difficult. So there's a lot of pride on that, but it wasn't for him, you know, and he would have done fine here, I'm sure. But in the end, that it wasn't his and man, you got to have it be yours. And so yeah. I just feel like, is this really mine is a huge question. That's, a, that's, that's a how Rick, key. that's how Rick deals with his over-enrollment problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bring me up to Virginia Tech and I'll go, I'll go help them right. whittle those kids away. Yeah. That, that and the lips and chains. Oh. <laughs> Um, what, uh, you know, the Germans have the expression Treppenwitz. That's the joke that you only uh, wish that you had told as you're on the stairs walking away. Um, this book is, uh, we're recording this conversation in August. Um, it will come out with the uh, book's publication in September. Um, okay. pro- probably since you've, uh, edited the book and put it to bed, there are some things you wish you had said. Um, at least I know that's the case for me uh, once I finish the book. Um, what uh, Could you have one or two um, or that you kind of wish that you had emphasized, maybe, uh, you know, put in bold, something like that? Um, character matters. <laughs> I think, uh, well, I just think, um, you know, we wrote this book and everything before the whole Varsity Blues admission scandal and before the recent um, news around, um, you know, parents in Illinois kind of um, uh, being, I guess, quote unquote, creative with um, guardianship to kind of mm-hmm. gain the system. And, um, you know, the messages that students and families make around this experience um reflect their character and and it matters and and it matters to admissions officers and uh, it matters to schools and and they want to build communities of students who um, will um, live and learn well in community with each other and so character matters how how you treat other people and how you the decisions you make um, those um, are reflected in your application and um, will impact uh, college admission Rick final words um, you know I've, I've actually thought a lot about how it would have been cool for us to end it with uh, some of the 
process that Brennan and I went through in writing this book, um, co-authoring a book, you know, yeah, it's a give and take. Um, there's some things that I wanted to include that, you know, just didn't make it. And, and certainly that was true for him. And there were things that even the way we express something, we have a very similar message and we approach things similarly, right? But we want to sometimes say things differently than the other one. And we had to compromise and we had to, you know, negotiate that. And at the end of the day, like that would have been a great parallel for families, mm-hmm. you know, but we're happy with the book and, and we know that it's, it's, good and and it's going to help people and it's basically all good, right? And I think that's in the end how people want to land with college is, listen, maybe I would have done it a little differently here. I wish that we had blah, 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 but you know what? We're good. We feel good about this. That's the goal. And and what and what's that unifying message, right? I mean, like we, even though we come at things from different perspectives, I you know I'm from the high school side and he's from the college side. Um, we, um, like Rick said, we had the similar voices, and then we got to po- points in in writing the book where we didn't know who had written what, right? So, um, you know, <laughs> we joked because at one point Rick said, um, oh, "Brennan, I really like how you said that." And I said, well, that's because you wrote it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's looking for those moments of unity in this experience and, and really celebrating that. My guests today have been Brennan Bernard and Rick Clark. They are co-authors of the great book, The Truth About College and Mission, A Family Guide to Getting In and Staying Together. Gentlemen, thank you for being part of Historically Thinking. Thanks, Al. Thanks so much for having us. For more historical thinking, go to our Facebook page, where you can comment on today's program and suggest ideas for programs to come. Please subscribe to us on Apple iTunes. And if you like what you've heard, please, please leave a review so that others can find us. Our program's editor is John Runat. I'm your host, Al Zambone. Talk to you next week.